HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Bin to Table, a monthly food subscription service for folks who want to cook with the best pantry ingredients on the planet. Learn more at bintotable.com and use the code HRN at checkout to get $20 off your first month. This episode of Meet and 3 is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. Learn about the wonderfully tart Montmorency cherry at choosecherries.com. I mean, people have been using VR since the 80s, but there was like this short time where suddenly I feel like all these entertainment businesses started launching these new VR, usually 360 video experiences, and that kind of piqued my interest. So I went and tried it out at um, Samsung's uh, West Village, or I guess meatpacking space, and remember just feeling like, oh, wow, this is a very immersive medium. I did a action experience with um 24 you know the the tv show and i was like my heart was palpitating i was so nervous in this action sequence and it made me really think about kind of the emotions that i wanted to elicit during the experiences that i was creating over dinner and how vr could potentially help me do that covid19 has fundamentally shifted how we experience life school and work are increasingly accessed through screens it got us thinking Are our circumstances also changing the way we interact with and consume food? This week, we're eating with our eyes as we dive into the world of TV, computers, and even virtual reality. I'm Kat Johnson, and this is Meat and Three. Meat and Three. Meat and Three. Meat and Three. One meat, three sides. Food, news, and storytelling. A square meal for your ears. Meat and Three. This week, we start with a weird trend that I haven't been able to stop thinking about. Strategically placed fruit hovering over pundits' shoulders on cable news channels. This is one of those COVID-era phenomena. Talking heads are now beamed in from their homes, and they're often set up in their big, beautiful kitchens. The first fruit that caught my attention was Steve Schmidt's pineapples. Schmidt is a political strategist who gets a lot of airtime. He'll often appear with one or two pineapples placed behind him. They'll even follow him from room to room. I wanted to know, what was up with these pineapples? Turns out, I wasn't alone. And so I was like, yo, who has all of these kind of bowls of fruit? This is Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues on HRN. I knew we were on the same page when I saw that he tweeted, quote, What is it with Zoom politicians and fruit bowls? Do people just have big bowls of fruit on the counter in the real life? 
I mean, not just bananas. Citrus, apples, whole nine. So normally, like if you're just watching news and they have all these talking heads, like they're just like kind of sitting like in a room. They're all like poorly lit and like whatever. You know what I mean? But like almost all of the people at the DNC were talking out of some sort of kitchen environment, right? And then they all had bowls of fruit. Like everyone had a bowl of fruit. Like me, Dave wondered, was the fruit just for show? It usually wasn't being stored properly to maximize and preserve flavor. Look, bananas ripening up, sure. You know what I mean? Apples are only getting worse. Like the minute you get that apple in your house, they're only getting worse. Get them in the fridge. Apples, as they age, lose their acidity and their, their texture is just going to go south. There's no reason to store an apple like on a counter. Like ditto citrus. Like the second the citrus comes off the tree, it's starting to encrapen. So unless you're about to juice it, like keep that sucker in the fridge and then let it warm up right before you juice it or, or when you're, when you're going to eat it. Some pundits started being challenged on whether or not they actually ate the food they had on display. Robert Gibbs had his giant bowl of peaches, and every night for four nights, he was one of the pundits that was on, like, I think he was next to, you know, David Plouffe or whatever. But anyway, he was there, and he had this giant bowl of peaches, and so she starts hounding him on these peaches, and then eventually he comes back and is like, the peaches were delicious, they're still good, I made a cobbler with Ina Garden's recipe, and he put it up. Steve Schmidt's fruit met a similar test. Were the pineapples decor or actually destined for consumption? He answered that question in a May 14th tweet, showing off a batch of piña coladas apparently made from those TV-perfect pineapples. For our next story, we follow the fruit from TV to the internet. Tosh Kimmel speaks with the co-founder of Falling Fruit about how their interactive map helps urban foragers find public orchards and food forests in their neighborhoods. The word forage may call to mind images of the woods, of abundant outdoor spaces and an array of wild food ripe for the picking. The word city, on the other hand, may conjure the opposite. Concrete sprawl, overpopulation, and man-made parks with strategically placed foliage. As a city dweller myself and a lover of forage food, I've often questioned if the two were inherently incompatible. But according to Ethan Welty, co-founder of Falling Fruit, an international interactive online map of edible plants, the answer is no. Yeah, it's, it's essentially a matchmaking service between people, um, mostly humans residing in cities, although it's not exclusive to that, um, matching them to um, food-bearing plants in their neighborhoods. So when you load up the website, you see these sort of clouds of points, each of which represent uh, one or more food-bearing plants. Most of those are public street trees, uh, park trees in cities. That's our focus. And you zoom in and, and you can see them on the map. And then clicking on each little point reveals more information. The concept for falling fruit originated while Ethan was a grad student in Boulder, Colorado. During that time, he began researching a backyard farm project in South Boulder, which inspired him to explore the true potential of urban farming. However, it wasn't until Ethan began brewing his own apple cider that his focus began to shift towards foraging. It was this shift which led him and his partner, Caleb Phillips, to develop falling fruit. It wasn't until I bought an apple pressed and was starting to. Um, homebrew and, and also make cider 
there were two apple trees in the backyard of the, the house I lived in. And the apple press had a voracious appetite for more apples. And so I, I started to go out into the world with a different view, looking for more apple trees. I think just that switch in my mind of thinking about the city's trees as potential purveyors of apples like revealed a new city to me, essentially. While the primary goal of falling fruit is to help people locate and harvest food growing on public land, it's also meant to be a blueprint for the ways in which urban cultivation and food foraging can feed people. We're trying to help a certain conversation along about the future of our cities, but also trying to explore like how to be a, at least a technical interface to that resource. But imagine what the city would look like and how much food you'd be producing if far more of those 690,000 trees were food-bearing. That's, I mean, it's an enormous potential resource. As conversations around mutual aid and food insecurity become amplified by COVID-19, resources like Falling Fruit offer a tool with which to change our perspective of what might be possible through large-scale urban food cultivation, asking us to imagine what our urban landscapes might look like if we prioritize accessible food. Most food will continue to come from the you know, rural landscapes, uh, but a lot of us now live in cities. Most of us in the world live in, in urban areas. And so how much is the city already accidentally potentially could, you know, providing its resident, and how much more could it provide if um, we just made it a priority? To learn more about Falling Fruit and find public fruit trees in your area, visit fallingfruit.org. We'll be right back with more Meet and 3 after a brief break. This episode is brought to you by Bin to Table, a monthly food subscription service for folks who want to cook with the best pantry ingredients on the planet, founded by Ben Simon. After working for President Obama, Ben spent five years traveling the world for Greenpeace, campaigning on climate change and sustainable agriculture. He always kept his eye out for delicious food to bring back home. Now, with everyone's travels on hold and home cooking more important than ever, Bin subscriptions provide a way for home cooks to experience different food cultures each month and put together nourishing, delicious meals with the best pantry items on the planet. With Taste the World, get a new shipment of different best-in-class ingredients to explore a new cuisine each month, along with tips and tricks to help out. We're talking delicious single-origin spices, cold-pressed olive oil, beautiful sauces, and lots of ways to use them. There's also an essential subscription which gets you a delicious assortment of heirloom, hard-to-find recipe staples. You can also get both each month with the full Ben to Table box subscription. Learn more at bentotable.com and use the code HRN at checkout to get $20 off your first month, and Ben to Table will donate $10 to HRN. This episode of Meet and 3 is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. Representing 75% of U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry production. With over 100 articles published in health journals stating the vast health benefits of Michigan's superfruit, it's best to choose the cherry with more. U.S. Montmorency tart cherries. They're available year-round, dried, frozen, canned, juice, and concentrate. Learn more about the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry at choosecherries.com. Welcome back to Meet and 3. Our next story features a tech company that's pushing boundaries to unlock new ways and functions of eating. 
Instead of using a virtual map, they're using virtual reality. Emily Kunkel speaks with Project Nourish founder Jinsu An. My name is Jinsu An, and I'm the founder of Project Nourished. Many of the followers of our project probably refer to us as, uh, oh, that crazy VR food project. But over the years, though, what I realized is that what we're doing is a bit broader. Defining Project Nourished is hard. Their goal is to maximize the therapeutic and utilitarian qualities of food. But what does that really mean? Project Nourished is experimental. It's theoretical. But at its core, they're problem solvers. They start with a question, let's say the age-old, how can parents get their kids to eat vegetables? And then they try to answer it using virtual and augmented reality. Okay, we want kids to be able to eat healthy foods. We want to train them. So a kid would put on the HoloLens and there would be essentially like veggies on, on a plate. Side note, HoloLenses are a form of VR glasses. And around the veggies or on top of the veggies, there would be like, you know, creatures, a whole ecosystem of uh, animals and plants. They are singing and dancing around them. And there would be voice guidance to help the kid creating this positive reinforcement, right, with foods that they might not like. Jinsu and his team have created over 150 prototypes inspired by real-life obstacles. They've addressed everything from allergies to weight loss. What we realize that people are really sensitive to is the nutrients, right, that are in food. Nutrients are great, and that's what really constitutes as food, but Nutrients oftentimes can hurt people, right, when you overconsume them. You know, I'm not a particularly religious person, but, you know, sometimes I, I compare this to the uh, never-ending cycle that the Buddha's teaching sometimes brings about, right? This, uh, this desire to want things, you know, uh, but those things can also hurt you, right? Project Nourish is looking beyond what the average consumer would understand as VR. They're trying to unlock the potential of a multi-sensory experience through combined use of virtual reality glasses and other forms of sensory augmenting technology. Jinsu has even played around with altering brain signals to encourage positive reactions to foods people may not like. The team has gone as far as augmenting food itself. For example, what if a piece of tofu looked like a cupcake? Would that make the eating experience more gratifying? What if the tofu also tasted like a cupcake? Through the blend of technology and food science, Project Nourished is trying to build various tastes into small cubes of gelatin. Then, through the use of VR glasses, the gelatin will appear as the food whose tastes it's replicating. It's almost as if they're taking Willy Wonka's three-course dinner chewing gum one step further. I have a lot of, you know, food allergic uh, issues related to like soy gluten. And my stepdad was also going through diabetes. So at one point when the story of our project got released, a grandma called us and wanted to see if she could try this experience because she's so fed up with not being able to eat anything, right? So what that ended up becoming was, you know, replication of existing foods so, like, for example, you can eat sushi or steak or desserts without any kind of caloric properties using 
hydrocolloids, essentially like a gelatin, right? Because gelatin is somewhat filling. It has volume, substance, but it has very little calories, if at all. The applications are endless and still very much in the experimental phase. Jinsu hopes that one day VR could have a central role in the kitchen. He reminded me that it wasn't so long ago that microwaves were unheard of. Now the thought of living without one seems wholly impractical. Jinsu hopes that one day Project Nourished products will be widely available for consumer purchase. He compares the market potential of VR-compatible foods and accessories to other products developed for specific technologies, such as frozen microwave dinners or even Keurig pods. We've been working on this for about five years or so, and we think that we're going to continue to you know, evolve this project over the next like you know 10 or even 20 years. So, you know, we're, we're not looking at short-term solutions per se, but keep making these slow increments. To learn more about Project Nourished, visit projectnourished.com. For our final story this week, Dylan Hoyer talks to chef, writer, and HRN host Jenny Dorsey. Jenny is the founder of a nonprofit community think tank called Studio Atau. The organization has experimented with virtual reality to create unique dining experiences and foster social change. Asian in America is a six-course dinner exhibition and experience, and three of the courses are paired with poetry, and then three of the courses are paired with VR. And so what I mean by that is that every course talks about a different topic within the Asian American identity through a very personal lens. And the three courses that are paired with VR, in it you're seeing a brushstroke by brushstroke recreation of the dish that you're about to eat alongside audio narration from me explaining what the symbolism is behind the ingredients, the technique, the plating. Virtual reality, or VR, allows Jenny to communicate with diners consistently across seatings and cities, while also presenting the opportunity to explore the great depth of meaning behind a dish. The immersive experience engages diners intimately over the course of just a few minutes. One course paired with VR is titled The Model Minority. There's a lot of issues with the model minority myth. Um, And so I wanted to talk about that in the dish in a variety of ways. One way is this idea of internalizing that you have to like, you have to be a certain way so that people will accept you. The title of the dish refers to the narrative that Asian Americans have succeeded in attaining social mobility and are therefore perceived as a model for other immigrant groups and populations of color. Yet, although some Asian Americans are among the country's highest earners, a wider wealth gap exists among Asian Americans than any other racial group in the U.S. This stereotype serves to erase that fact. It dismisses the forms of systemic racism and classism that Asian Americans continue to face while at the same time fostering a division among Asian Americans and other people of color. So the main protein on that dish are veal sweetbreads. And veal sweetbreads are something that I think most people who who see themselves as foodies are pretty familiar with. It's kind of the one organ meat that you'll find on gourmet menus. It's usually the only organ meat you'll ever find on gourmet menus. And they're almost always prepared the same way, which is fried. And there's usually a sauce, um, like a thick sauce that comes with it. And this idea I wanted to parallel with the model minority myth is like, 
you can be that one distasteful thing. You can be that one minority. We don't really like you that much, but as long as you fit into this little cloud category that we put in for you, you stay there and we'll accept you. We'll allow you to be on this one course in this fancy restaurant. You know, you're allowed acceptance, but you're never allowed full participation. The dish is multi-layered in a physical and metaphorical sense. The sweetbreads are surrounded by a piped maze made from chrysanthemum, an ingredient that gained popularity in New York's food scene a few years ago. Many chefs experimented with the ingredient, but few acknowledged its East Asian roots. That is it in a nutshell. It's like this idea that you're, like whatever you have is never actually accepted in the mainstream you know, culture. But then if you have something useful, they'll like take it and then claim it for themselves. The model minority dish is topped with a rice gel sheet that covers the other ingredients. It kind of has like this slippery texture that for whatever reason, Western palates don't usually like. And it's this idea that like you have tried so hard, you've reached the center of this maze, you know, being the model minority, you've tried really hard to hide everything that you can so that you'll be accepted. And so now you're cloaking yourself under this sheet, but at the end of the day, this sheet has this texture that no matter how much you try, you'll never be accepted. That's kind of, that's the great irony of the model minority myth. The process of creating this VR experience not only allows diners to gain greater insight into Jenny's conception of the meal, but it's challenged Jenny to push herself as a chef. This has meant being intentional about every ingredient and its presentation, as well as her communication. It also involves exploring new territory, some of which is uncharted for chefs and eaters alike in the world of fine dining. I think one of the big issues that we have in food that's been perpetuated with like large restaurants is that it's like, you know, the customer's always right and we're always trying to make people feel comfortable. And therefore, if, they're, if we're always trying to make people feel really comfortable, like they can never be discomforted by their food. Like everything has to be about making them feel good. And that's not really the point of food, right? Food should make you uncomfortable sometimes. Food should make you sad sometimes. Food should make you angry sometimes. There are many chefs who are starting to push the boundaries of like trying to get people to see food in a different way so that we can actually play with food in a way that, you know, you recognize food is in integral to your life and you're not happy all the time. You don't walk away from the dinner experience not just being like, oh, that was nice, because when things are nice, you just forget about it. <laughs> the Asian in America dinner series launched in 2018 and toured across the country. It was scheduled to continue traveling through smaller cities in 2020, but COVID put those plans on hold. Despite hitting the pause button on VR for the time being, Jenny's use of this medium has helped her to hone in on the mission of Studio Atau, which works with various forms of digital media to make an impact at the intersection of food, art, and technology. Learn more about Asian in America and Studio Atau by following the link in the show notes. That's our show. Thanks for listening. We want to give a special thanks this week to Dave Arnold, Tosh Kimmel, and Emily Kunkel. Meet in Three is produced by Hannah Forden, Matt Patterson, Katie Mosman-Wadler, Dylan Hoyer, and me, Kat Johnson. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Meet in Three is powered by Simplecast. Meet in Three is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. 
and stay in touch. Whether you have a story idea or just want to say hello, you can write to us at ideas at meetin3.nyc. That's all spelled out.